Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. And today we have a person with us that's going to explain everything that's going on in the state of North Carolina in terms that you and I can understand. That would be Brad Crone, who's the president of Campaign Connections, very frequent guest on our program. Brad now makes his living as a political strategist. At one time, he had good sense, and he was a reporter for WPTF News. That was back when he had good sense and, and good judgment. Now he's in the politics business. But uh, Brad, is uh, Brad, you are quite well respected for your opinions on both sides of the aisle because you're a very practical and pragmatic person, and you call it like you see it. We always appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, and uh, that's, uh, I know the listeners do too. So let's start off with uh, State Auditor Beth Wood, who has been dominating the news uh, in the last week because of the uh, 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 leaving the side scene of a crime, uh, leaving the side scene of that uh, wreck. And uh, so bring us up to date on where that stands and what the likely outcome of that might be for Beth Wood's future. Well, Roger uh, Smith Jr. appeared in administrative district court at the Wake County Courthouse Thursday morning on uh, the auditor's behalf, and they deferred the case until March the 23rd, where she'll be able to enter into a uh, plea agreement with the prosecutor. And it will be a traffic infraction if she pleads guilty to leaving the scene of an accident, I think it's three or four points on your driver's license. Um, it'll be interesting, Don, to see if the state of North Carolina and the district attorney uh, work with the state auditor to have her uh, pay the damages to the state car and to the victim's car rather than having the people of North Carolina and the motor pool through the Department of Administration pay the damages. And uh, I think that would be appropriate punishment. Um, you know, the the state auditor, it's sort of a sad story because the state auditor has an impeccable reputation of professionalism when it comes to uh, the audit process. She was elected in, in 2008 and I think has done a very good job for the people of North Carolina. So it was unfortunate that this situation took place. Um, the big question has been, was she drinking and driving? And I think that's the question that she really doesn't want to have to answer. But I will go back to 1982 when Ike Andrews was representing Wake County, Durham County, and Orange County in Congress. And Congressman Andrews was in the middle of a heated a congressional uh, re-election with Bill Kobe and uh, the Republican, and he got arrested for drunk driving. And Congressman Andrews immediately cut a, a television commercial. He went to court, pled guilty, and cut a television commercial saying, I was wrong. I had too much to drink. I was driving. It was inappropriate. I made a bad decision. I will accept the consequences of the court. I asked for your understanding and uh, apologize, and I asked for your forgiveness. And he won re-election that year. So I, I just go back. I know that people panic. I know you get upset. 
you have flash moments where you wish you had not done something that you did. I get that. I understand that. Um, you know, would it have been better for her to have stuck around? And if she was drinking, accept the consequences of that action. So the question now moving forward is going to be, um, Will she continue in office? I believe that she will probably continue in office, but the the it, she has a chink in the armor. And um, can she be effective? I think she can be effective. She's got to work to uh, rebuild that trust factor with the people of North Carolina. Um, and then we'll see what the political consequences are when filing period opens up next January. Interesting thing, of course, about uh, uh, State Auditor Beth Wood is she's well respected by both sides of the aisle. She has a, a lot of, uh, she, of course, is a Democrat, but she has lots of Republican support. So that's, that's kind of interesting. And I and, think I think it's also interesting that as far as I've seen so far, I haven't seen anybody, um, a public official, uh, suggest that she resign. Have you? No, I have not. Uh, the governor issued a statement earlier in the week saying that he was troubled by it uh, and he was going to let the legal process play out. And I think that's the best thing to do. You know, let the legal process play out. Let's see uh, how the damages are uh, presented and uh, taken care of. And, you know, accept, go down to court, accept your punishment, take the fine and the license uh points on your license because you know that's going to be a big ding on your insurance bill and um roll on some people have made a big deal about the access of the state computer that was left in the motor pool car um some people have said that you know there may be instances in the future when she does an audit that people question the uh, validity of the audit based on this. I just don't know if I think that's comparing apples to oranges there. So um, I will say this, she has been steadfast in her work and that has, uh, that has meant people have been, um, very supportive of her on both sides of the aisle, as you said. Uh, she has not been partisan at all. She has taken on uh, multiple agencies, multiple municipalities, and uh, has done good work for the people of North Carolina. So that's what makes this upsetting. Um, but we're all human. We all have uh, moments, flash moments that we, we regret later on, and we have to move on from those. Well, let's change the subject and talk about the governor's race. It's now off and running because uh, uh, Josh Stein has now publicly announced it's been long assumed that he would run for governor. Governor Cooper's two terms are will be over and is not eligible to run again for re-election. So the Democrats have a leading candidate right off the bat. So bring us up to date on where you see the governor's race at this point in time and who's likely to surface. Well, I'll say... Uh... The announcement from the attorney general was interesting in that it's super early. Most of the time, you'll see May, June, July timeframes uh, for announcing the races. 
Then also the style that he took. I mean, it was a full frontal assault on his likely Republican opponent, uh, Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson. And uh, it was uh, steeped in history of the civil rights, but it was also an attack uh, on the Lieutenant Governor's rhetoric, in particular when it comes to women's reproductive rights and the LGBTQ community. So uh, no doubt that the attorney general went out and placed a marker in the sand. Here I am. This is going to be the land that I stand on. And uh, that was, I think, very bold. The question is, does he end up being the sole candidate by doing that? Or are there people out there looking who may want to say, I don't know if uh, Mr. Stein will be the standard bearer. A couple of names floating around. The mayor of Charlotte, by Lyles, would be a very competitive candidate in the Democratic primary. And then the, a, a lot of chatter. My Our good friend uh, Henry Hinton uh, was saying earlier in the week that Michael Regan, the EPA administrator under President Biden, the former secretary of environment and natural resources here under Governor Cooper uh, has been getting a lot of attention recently. So those are a couple of names out there who could be potential candidates statewide in the gubernatorial primary. I don't know if that develops or not, but uh, clearly Stein has put his sights on the, on the job and it's worst kept secret in Raleigh. And uh, he is ready to show that he's, willing and able to go after the lieutenant governor. I thought it was very measured for the lieutenant governor to take sort of a um, wait-and-see attitude. He didn't take the bait. The lieutenant governor had done an excellent performance on January 6th, the last show of Mark Rodman's front row uh, interview. And uh, I think the lieutenant governor's trying to figure out how do we put together a message that that helps me back away from the fire and brimstone rhetoric and begin working to build a coalition that will get me elected. There's no doubt that the lieutenant governor has a strong base within the Republican Party, especially with the Christian nationalist movement, the Trump folks. Can he move over to the main street and the country club and the business Republicans? And can he build a winning message that's going to help capture those independent unaffiliated voters along the I-85 corridor from Charlotte all the way up to Raleigh? I think that's what the measure the lieutenant governor is having to take right now. And we keep hearing uh, some rumblings that uh, the state treasurer might be a candidate. What do you hear? State Treasurer is indicating more and more that he is willing to be a candidate and he will be very appealing to the Main Street centrist uh, established Republicans. And that would be an interesting dynamic from a, a primary standpoint because uh, you're going to have 33% of your Republican base supporting Robinson, probably 33% of the business established Main Street Republicans supporting Falwell, and the fight will be for that that other 33% that are somewhere in between. 
And um, the one thing Falwell has is a strong basis of support, I believe, coming out of the banking community, financial community. And I, I think Falwell's been strategic over the last few weeks when it comes to health care. He has he has shown that he is not afraid to take on the very big interest, whether it's uh, insurance with Blue Cross Blue Shield and the state employees health plan, and then also the North Carolina hospitals across the state over the transparency and their pricing. So Falwell has a clear based record of success. He has a record of governing. And he's less bombastic than the lieutenant governor. So they, the, the Republicans will have two dynamic choices as they head into the Republican primary next May. Falwell, I believe, will be able to build an organization across the state that can help finance it. Robinson already has it. So it'll be a race of two titans for sure. But it's something that we'll pay attention to on the Democratic and Republican side as we head into 2024. Interesting. A good recap of the governor's race. As we said, it's off and running. Our guest is Brad Crowd, and we will be back with another segment of Carolina Newsmakers. Uh, and, of course, there's going to be a number of council state positions open, and we'll talk about that when we come back. You stay tuned. Who said that? Me, down here. What are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. Well, uh, what are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. Don't you remember me? Don't you know that we miss you? Miss me? Who misses me? You know, all your friends in the forest. The trees, the pond, that little fort that you made out of branches. We all miss you. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. Oh, I guess that makes sense. This forest is not that far away. Have an adventure today. I'm sure your mom would take you. You're right. I should get out. I want to have fun. Play in puddles, catch frogs, and climb trees. Hey, Mom! Yeah, hon? <gasps> Stephen! What is that in your hand? It's my sense of adventure, Mom. It's telling me we need to get out of the house and have some fun in nature today. Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. When you went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. You out salesmen to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Brad Crone, the uh, political strategist who has been with us a number of times and shares his opinions with us on what's happening in state politics as well as uh, uh, other matters. Uh, and we, we're going to talk about, by the way, later on, the issues that will come up during the next two years as we begin the countdown to another general election, which is now less than two years away. But we wanted to talk a little bit about the uh, number of council of state positions that will, might be open. Um, we've already talked about the fact that Beth Wood has her situation. And, of course, she is already probably uh, maybe approaching a retirement age anyway. Uh, whether she will run again is an interesting uh, question. 
We have already the Labor Commissioner has announced he is not running. If Dale Falwell runs for governor, I mean, for yes, for governor, the state treasurer's position will be open. And of course, there's also the Commissioner of Agriculture and possibly the Secretary of State. All of these are kind of open positions. Bring us up to date on where we stand on those. Well, Hal Weatherman, the former chief of staff for Dan Forrest, lieutenant governor, uh, and former chief of staff for Congresswoman Sue Myrick, has already announced on the Republican side how is a very uh, methodical, very polished uh, political leader. He, this is for the lieutenant governor. Lieutenant governor's race. Yeah. He lives in Charlotte, so he has a big base of support coming out of Mecklenburg County. He's run successful races for lieutenant governor. I think uh, he is smart to get out early and start building organization. I fully anticipate a primary there, but um, I think Hal is is smart to get out and begin the campaign process and interacting and start his messaging on why he would be the best Republican candidate to run for lieutenant governor. On the Democratic side, former state representative Brian Turner out of Asheville, is, his name is being mentioned very much so across the state as an up-and-coming Democrat. Another name from uh, a well-established political family is State Senator Rachel Hunt out of Mecklenburg County, the daughter of uh, former four-term Governor Jim Hunt. And that would be a Donnybrook of a campaign uh, Hunt, Rachel Hunt, of course, able to to piggyback off the name and the strength of her father's reputation and his ability to raise money. But Rachel, in her own right, has a strong record of governing with two terms in the North Carolina House. She's been active and vocal in Democratic Party politics, is seen sort of as a centrist progressive within the Democratic Party. And uh, as a woman, I think would bring a lot of energy for the Democrats um, going into November of next year in a year, I believe, is just going to have super turnout because of the presidential and the gubernatorial elections at the top of the ballot. Labor commissioner is um, an interesting race. Have not heard any names on the Democratic side. I have heard uh, John Hardister from uh, Greensboro and Ben Moss, both members of the state legislature, the Republican House Caucus. Mr. Moss is from Rockingham in Richmond County, uh, two-term legislator. Uh, he is a railroad uh, conductor uh, and has worked uh, in industry, heavy industry. Uh, Hardisters uh, worked in mortgage finance and is very well respected. He's probably in his fourth term now as a state legislator, very well respected young uh, Republican, still in his late 30s, early 40s, and has a political network across the state because of the work that he's done to help get Republicans elected to the state house. So from an organization standpoint, I believe that Hardister is probably going to have an advantage going into the Republican primary. State treasurer, uh, both parties, I believe, are out trying to find candidates who would be able to run for state treasurer. No names have been mentioned at this point in time. A lot of people are paying attention to what Elaine Marshall is planning. Uh, there are rumors that she may step down 
Then there are also reports that Elaine plans to run for another term. So I think a lot of people uh, at the county level and at the municipal level who want to step up to statewide politics are going to be watching and seeing if um, the Secretary of State, who was elected in 1996, seeks another term. The Commission of Agriculture, uh, a lot of people are waiting on an official announcement coming from Steve Troxler, who was elected in 2004. Commissioner Troxler has done a tremendous job advocating for North Carolina's agriculture and a champion for agribusiness across the state. The Got to Be NC marketing campaign really has highlighted uh, North Carolina's commodities and our agricultural products and seafood. And he he's just been really a great, he, he's been a great follow-up to uh, Jim Graham, my uh, mentor, um, and just, I think he's done an excellent job. So those shoes are going to be difficult to fill. The word is that, that Brent uh, Jackson, state senator from Clinton in Sampson County, watermelon farmer, produce farmer, is looking at running. He is co-chair of the Senate Agriculture Committee. Lisa Stone Barnes's name has been floated as a potential candidate for agriculture, too. I think she may actually be uh, a better candidate to run for lieutenant governor uh, and let Brent, who has really worked his way into that role, uh, run there. So those are going to be the interesting races. I hear uh, Chuck Stuber, the former FBI agent who ran the Raleigh office, is looking at running again for state auditor. So there's no doubt that the state auditor will have competition going into 2024. The question is going to be, will she have competition in the Democratic Party primary? So it's going to be a full election. Uh, there's absolutely no doubt. And I think, Don, a lot of people are going to wonder, too, you know, North Carolina plays a really important role in the presidential race. So we are seeing the former president, Donald Trump, having organization problems in South Carolina right now, one of the early primary states, simply because they're uh, two favorite candidates there, uh, Senator Scott and former Governor Haley, former ambassador to the United Nations under Trump. So does the question, the question is this, does Trump build organization here in the state or do you see a candidate like Governor DeSantis come in and, and build away from Trump? So that will be intriguing. And on the Democratic side, Democrats, are they willing to support another term for Joe Biden? You know, and that's going to be a real big question mark. Are they willing to look beyond and try and find a new candidate, um, whether it's uh, Vice President Harris or uh, Pete Buttigieg or maybe even North Carolina's favorite son, Governor Roy Cooper? So uh, it's going to be an intriguing few months as we we head through 2023, filling out uh, the grounds for the 2024 election. Well, the, the Trump situation is very interesting because he, he seems to continue to sort of step in the areas in his, uh, his efforts to get back to some form of building a base that uh, – are working against him. It, it would appear to me that he is actually losing support. Uh, I don't know whether that's true in North Carolina, 
but it appears to be a national because you're seeing more and more national Republican leaders shying away from him. So that's going to be interesting to watch. And of course, the age factor on both of those candidates is a, is a factor. We're talking right. about two years from now. They're going to be two years older. Right. And so that's that's another interesting situation. You know, I'm taking Brad with after we've had uh, uh, State Treasurer Dale Falwell on our program many, many times. And I'm taken with how important that race is to the state of North Carolina. That's probably uh, one of the most important races that we will face because the state treasurer is uh, so vital to the economy of North Carolina. Absolutely. And it is so underrated and under the radar. And the the interesting dynamic to me is that with Falwell looking at running for governor, you, you know, the process of vetting candidates on, in both parties has got to start right now. And uh, it, it truly is important because it touches so many people, whether you're a retired state employee, a state teacher, the state pension fund, as well as the state employee health fund. And he's managing billions and billions of dollars. And under uh, Treasurer Falwell, he has sort of changed the dynamics from the previous two administrations under Richard Moore and Janet Cowell, where he has brought back in the management of the state's equity portfolio into the state treasurer's office. And um, I think Harlan Bowles had done that and had been very successful with it. I think Dale has been successful with it despite some of the ups and downs that he's faced in the equities market. But uh, I will say this about Dale Falwell. He is not afraid of anything. He will take on what he thinks is right and stand up and fight for it. And you have to admire that. And the one and, and thing- I might add, by the way, that Red Crone comes from a background as being uh, a political strategist for Democrats. So to say that about a Republican is is kind of interesting. Well, and here's the thing I really admire about Dale is Dale tells you what he thinks. And, and you know, he reminds me a lot of Jesse Helms in that regard. I may not agree with you, but I got to respect you. And then one other thing that Dale is not, he is not a candidate that is focused on chaos and disruption. He is very synchronized, strategic, methodical. I think he is prudent, responsible, and uh, that says a lot. And, and that's what you really want, I think, in a state treasurer. I think it's also something that we need in our governor's seat. And I, I really do believe, Don, you know, I go back to my days of working for Locke Faircloth. He, he, first day I went to work for Locke Faircloth, he bought me the Leffler Newsom book, History of a Southern State. He got in the car and he told me, he said, every night we're on the road, you're going to read a chapter in this book. And then the next day we're going over North Carolina history. So I joke about the fact I have a master's degree in North Carolina history from Locke Faircloth University. But the one thing that I learned uh, from professors Leffler and Newsom at Carolina, is that great governors build things. John Motley Moorhead built a railroad from Raleigh down to Gastonia, all the way up to, to Jackson in Northampton County, all the way down to, to Beaufort, where, uh, now Moorhead City. 
And then Cameron Morrison integrated our statewide road system. The uh, Car Scott integrated our secondary road system. And uh, we've had Jim Martin, who finished Interstate 40 from Raleigh to, to Wilmington. So really great governors build things. And we need a governor with a vision of saying, here's what we're going to do when it comes to our road system, when it comes to our infrastructure system, when it comes to the economic development of our state. Great background, Brad, and appreciate you giving us that update. That uh, sort of sets the stage for this upcoming election that will be now less than two years off. And uh, as you said, we seem to be off and running a little earlier than usual, uh, not only in the state of North Carolina, but also nationally as well. So it's going to be interesting to watch. Our guest is Brad Crawlin. He, as we said, is a local strategist, president of Campaign Connections, former newsman with WPTF, and we'll be back. When we come back, we're going to start talking about some hot topics at the General Assembly, which is uh, beginning to get back to work. And we'll do that right after these messages. As an 18-year-old, I let my mistakes kind of take over my life. I was 0.5 credits away from completing high school, and I didn't do it. Ten years later, at age 28, Jackie finished her high school diploma. When I found out that I was pregnant, I know that I had to do something for myself if I wanted to make her a better person and provide a better life for her. My family never stopped pushing for me to be better because they knew what I could become and who I could become as a person. My support team is amazing. The educational director, my sister, and even my seven-year-old daughter has just been more than the support that I could ask for. I've been given an opportunity, and I'm just thankful for it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Adopt US Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting A Teenager Learning the Lingo. GOAT, G O A T, acronym, stands for Greatest of All Time, as in spaghetti sandwiches for dinner? They're my fave. Dad, you're the GOAT. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week is Brad Crone. As we have said in introducing the other segments, he is president of Campaign Connections, which is a strategy, uh, a local strategy firm that uh, provides specialized uh, um, advice and counseling to in public affairs, public relations, and grassroots campaigns for trade associations, advocacy groups, and corporations, as well as politicians. A former newspaper publisher of the Thomasville Times, and of course, as we've said, also back when he had really good sense, he was a uh, uh, afternoon news editor for WPTF Radio. Uh, that was back when you were just a puppy. Best job ever. Well, uh, we like to think it was. Now we didn't pay you much, and, and no. if you came, if you came back, we wouldn't pay you much again. But uh, that's aside from the point. I loved it. It was an absolute great time. Oh me. Well, uh, there are the as we said, the General Assembly is getting back to work. 
and there are a number of hot topics that we want to sort of look at. Of course, uh, uh, one of which is the, uh, mat- uh, the matter of Medicaid expansion, which has been in the news now for a number of years and seems to be now um, uh, on its track to perhaps approval because uh, the positions of the leadership in both parties seems to have changed over the last several years. Where does that stand and what's your forecast is what will happen with that? Well, I think that they will get something done. I hope that they're able to get all the parties to the pavement, to, to the table. Uh, the Republican leadership in the House and the Senate are clearly indicating that they are willing to move forward with this. They think that it's important. There's too much federal money on the table for the state not to access it. We have some crises when it comes to the working poor and their access to health care. We also have a crisis with our rural health care delivery system and the stability, excuse me, the stability of our hospitals in eastern and western North Carolina uh, because of the the, the critical uh, costs that they face and, and the lack of adequate funding. So Medicaid expansion, I think, would definitely help the provider community for sure. One of the stumbling blocks, Don, that I hear is the uh, 10% that the federal government will pay 90% of the freight, and then the state's got to kick in 10%. And as a part of the Medicaid expansion, that 10% was going to be paid for with basically a provider tax where the hospitals would kick in that additional 10%. And the hospitals are saying they are not strong enough financially right now to be able to cover that spread. So there's got to be some movement, I think, and I take them at the word that there has to be some movement on who's going to cover what part of that 10% that's out there that the state will be responsible for. And if they can get that figured out, I think you're going to have a deal. And it would not shock me one bit that we have a deal sooner rather than later. So hopefully they could get something hammered out as they get ready to go into the budget. The word when the legislature came back into session on Wednesday, uh, both sides are saying they want to have a budget agreement done and have the budget signed and ready to go into place July the 1st. So I think you're going to see movement on Medicaid expansion relatively quick. Another big issue that, uh, that was not attended to last time, actually was attended to, but it uh, did not pass, and that is uh, uh, gaming or sports book betting, video gaming and so forth. Um, that's going to obviously surface again, and, and it was so close to being passed last time. What's your forecast this time? Right. You, they were only like one or two votes away from getting it passed. And uh, one member was absent. I think there was some confusion on the floor when the vote came up. Um, I think the sports gaming uh, folks have been working quietly behind the scenes. They have a number of uh, very influential uh, and, and constructive legislative lobbyists working on the issue. And I think you'll see something get through Uh, this session, uh, in particular when it comes to sports betting and will allow for sports books to be operated at the athletic facilities 
for example, at the Panthers Bank of America Stadium and then at the PNC Arena for the Carolina Hurricanes. And I think both of those sports franchises will benefit from it. The taxpayers of North Carolina will benefit from it, too. And then it will also legitimize the DraftKings and the all the different online sports books that are there right now as well. Um, you have two sports book facilities in the state with the Catawba Reservation and then with the Cherokee Nation, Eastern Band of the Cherokees. And um, so it won't be anything new to the state. State hopefully will be able to make a stream of revenue off of it that's newfound revenue uh, as well. So I think you get that done. A uh, big question is going to be, will the will the North Carolina lottery be given the opportunity to get into the video gaming business? From uh, 2008, I believe it was, the state legislature passed uh, legislation that prohibited the mom and pops and the video sweepstakes centers, uh, basically allowing the district attorneys in each one of the judicial districts to decide whether or not they wanted to prosecute. So, you know, in some regions of the state, for example, you've got some sweepstake parlors in Roanoke Rapids. You have some sweepstake parlors in uh, Wake County, for example. In other areas where the sheriffs and the district attorneys are opposed to them, you don't have them. So maybe the legislature looks at a situation like the state lottery would come in and operate your video gaming so that if you went into a, a tavern or, or into a restaurant and you wanted to play $20 on the video uh, machine, video poker or uh, sweepstakes, Wheel of Fortune, you know, just like a slot machine in Vegas, you could go in and do so. If they, the word I heard is that the the legislature has looked at the Louisiana model where all the machines are regulated by the lottery, by the state, and then they monitor who's playing, how much is being played, and every night at 2 o'clock in the morning, they're able to sweep the account. So the state gets a rev regular revenue grab every single day. Um and so that may be a model that they look at. I don't know if that that the the video gaming and uh, sweepstakes gets very far this session. But I will say this: when you look at the uh, economic forecast that was put forward by Dan Gerlock, former budget director for the Economic Development Association, the state's going to have some revenue challenges as we head into 2025, 26, 27. So I think the legislature is going to be willing to look at additional revenue sources and video gaming uh, regulated by the lottery could generate multiple millions of dollars. North Carolina, of course, is growing uh, rapidly, especially the area between Raleigh, uh, the crescent that runs from Raleigh all the way through Greensboro down to Charlotte, and of course, Asheville area, Wilmington area, Greenville area. So transportation needs are going to be there because we're going to have more cars on the road than ever before as we continue to grow. Uh, so transportation funding is a question. And of course, North Carolina has long depended on gasoline tax. Well, with electric cars, EV cars coming out, the, uh, the number of gallons of gasoline are going to go down. New ways of 
funding transportation are going to have to be on the agenda. And of course, uh, a lot of major projects like I-95 and um, some others need revenue right now. So where, what's your forecast on what's going to happen in the transportation funding area? Well, the state just finished up a, transposi- a transportation summit uh, that was very successful, not only looking at critical infrastructure needs, but how transportation is going to be changing uh, over the next few decades. And we, the legislature is working diligently. Uh, Brendan Jones is co-chair of the Transportation uh, Committee in the State House. And I know that they are working on finding acceptable revenues. The conservatives, in particular, uh, John Hood, my good friend, has promoted a uh, tax on miles used. And that would be an interesting mechanism for taxation. That way you capture revenue from your uh, non-combustible engine. So if you've got an electric car, you're still going to be offering some revenue into the state for utilizing our state roads. So those have have got to be options. In the past, too, Don, the state has borrowed money through general obligation bonds approved by the voters of North Carolina. The legislature uh, has not been very uh, proactive when it comes to borrowing money. And the fact of the matter is, I think we only have just a limited amount of debt, probably about a billion dollars of debt on the books right now from a bond we passed in 2016 for uh, our National Guard and for our colleges and community colleges across the state. So, um, you know, would a transportation bond be appropriate? I think that it would, but the legislature's indicated, in particular Senate President Pro Tem, Berger has indicated he likes pay as you go. And, uh, you know, that's a pretty good philosophy for me. Uh, And if the state can find the revenue, then I prefer that all day long rather than borrowing money. So those are going to be big questions I think the legislature is going to have to look at. Uh, They are working. They have started the process of building out and improving I-95 it's going to be a huge project, multiple year. I think the price tag on it's as much as five or six billion dollars. The feds have indicated they are willing to kick in some money, so that's going to be good news. And I think you'll see improvements on on I ninety five in a gradual process. Um, and and you know, of course, you couldn't start construction on the whole road anyway. It may take longer than we particularly want. The key thing about I-95 is it truly is the gateway to economic uh, foundation, economic success for eastern North Carolina. The other road project is I-87, which would stretch from Raleigh all the way up to Norfolk. That's going to be critical for economic development for the state. In the western part of the state is I-77, stretching from Charlotte all the way up to the Commonwealth of Virginia. And then uh, what do we look at as we move forward? Are we willing to to say the two economic hubs in the state are Mecklenburg and Wake County? And, And the economic report that Dan Gerlach 
prepared for the Economic Developers Association showed 50% of the state's tax revenue is coming from those two counties. So are we willing to invest in a high-speed rail along the 6449 corridor, the southern Piedmont that stretches from Raleigh all the way down to Charlotte? Yes, it's going to cost a lot of money, but long-term, we've got to have high-speed, reliable, connective transportation between the state's two economic hubs. It's going to be absolutely critical. So transportation's just going to continue to be such a huge issue in a state where we're seeing 1.3% annual growth rates. Thank you for that update. It's a, a, a very good recap, certainly, for us to, uh, and gives us a lot to think about. Uh, we've got one final segment coming up. We want to use the R word, recession, and this I word, inflation. We also want to talk about redistricting. We'll do that when we come back with our final segment of Carolina Newsmakers for this week with our guest, Brad Crone, President of Campaign Connections. We'll do that right after we take time out for these messages. Hey, Dad. How do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by End Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Taking pictures? No, I'm asking questions. Like what? Hey, Bobo, do flowers have best friends? I'm sorry. I'm afraid I don't know that. Hey, follow me. I want to show you something. Look, flowers do have best friends. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week is Brad Crone. We've had a very interesting program. If you have missed the first segments and you would like to hear it, we talked about the, the situation involving State Auditor Beth Wood. We also talked about the up-and-coming election and, and the governor's race being off and running. Uh, we talked about potential candidates in that race. And so if you missed that, uh, those segments, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear those segments or the entire broadcast, for that matter, if you'd like. Brad Crone is our guest. He's the president of Campaign Connections. And as we promised right before the break, we wanted to do, introduce the R word and the I word and how that might affect North Carolina. The I word being inflation. Everything is costing more these days. So that means it's going to stretch the state budget. Uh, it also means that people are going to be making more money. So they will probably be paying more tax. And so that may offset. And we're going to talk about the R word, uh, the possibility of recession. And I'm hearing more and more that more people are saying 
probably not much of a recession if we have one at all in North Carolina. So let's start with that one, Brad. What are you hearing? Well, same thing. I watched from uh, the the Davos Economic Summit in Europe, uh, Jamie Dimon, who is uh, chairman of uh, Chase, uh, Morgan Chase Bank, and and he was basically saying the same thing, Don, that uh, we may see a minor dip, but it's it's going to be mild. It'll be short, uh, and then we will proceed on. His uh, Mr. Diamond's biggest concerns, and I agree with them, have got to be on a global level the Ukrainian European war, and then also uh, China and how China's militarily and how they're acting in the marketplace. And so, you know, those are way above my pay grade, but I do pay attention to it, and and I have a lot of respect for uh, Mr. Diamond and his views. So, I think that's what we'll see. More locally here across the state of North Carolina, we're continuing to see just uh, massive growth into our metropolitan regions, the Charlotte, Raleigh, Greensboro, Winston-Salem, Asheville, Wilmington, Greenville areas, Fayetteville, and not so much in Jones County, not so much in uh, Stokes County. So, as a state, I think that it's sort of imperative our leadership look at you know what is going on. Patrick Woody over at the North Carolina Rural Center is doing a fantastic job on trying to find successful economic models for econ- for rural North Carolina, and I think that's extremely important. Um, I, I really think that. The state won't see very, we may see mild recession, but we're not going to feel it very much in particular in our economic hubs in uh, Raleigh, Charlotte, Greensboro, in the triad areas. And Usually when, when you have a recession, you have large scale unemployment. Right now, everyone is still hiring right correct. and left. And so, uh, there, of course, there's certain jobs that uh, will open because of any kind of a uh, slow down nicely, but uh, for the most part, that, that factor is just not present in North Carolina. No, and and uh, we have a very strong labor market, and as we see new jobs, uh, Don, look at what's coming online. Just uh, uh, on Friday, you had news that the boom in Greensboro is breaking ground. They're getting their uh, factory in order out at the uh, Piedmont Triad Airport. You've got the Vietnamese car plant with uh, grounds broken. They're moving dirt. They're getting ready to put structures up. You've got Toyota building the battery factory right there in Randolph County. Just those three projects alone, 18, you know, 16 to 18,000 jobs. And uh, these are going to be high skilled uh, technology jobs computer-based with very high wages. And so that's, you know, just looking down the road at, at, at that on the job market, the strength that we have, the success that Governor Cooper has had in recruiting these, and and Mr. Uh, Chris Chung over at the North Carolina Economic Development Commission, and Gene McLaren, the, the chairman of the uh, commission, the success that they have had in bringing these. And then it, it, I don't know if you saw it, but earlier in, in the month, 
Mr. Chung announced that they have a hundred thousand jobs, prospective jobs in the economic pipeline for the state of North Carolina between now and 2024, over a hundred billion dollars in investment. So uh, that that future is very very bright. The the counterpoint to that is do we have enough energy generation and energy capacity from Duke Energy to be able to accommodate that type of growth? And that's going to be a huge issue too. So um, the one thing that I think is truly incredible too, Don, when it comes to inflation, is look at the escalating price of real estate in our metro markets, in Raleigh, Charlotte, Greensboro. Wow, even I mean, it, Wilmington, the Outer Banks, Moorhead City, they've seen even higher escalation in real estate prices. So if we're seeing inflation, not only are we seeing it in durable goods, but we're seeing it in real property. Let's change the subject and talk about, uh, there's, of course, a court case right now before the Supreme Court that could return all of the uh, powers of redistricting to the states. And if that happens... Uh, North Carolina's political situation will be quite different as far as uh, the possibility of redistricting. As we grow, we probably sooner or later are going to add another congressman, but that won't be for a couple uh, for some time. But at any rate, uh, we're going to see uh, an effort to redistrict one way or the other. Uh, do the Democrats have a chance? No, no, they do not. And it is a fait accompli. Uh, the Republicans control the state Supreme Court. I think you'll see congressional redistricting. I think you'll see legislative redistricting. And I think they'll get rid of the the uh, rule of, of the fairness doctrine that the Democrats put in place that forced the legislature to come back and redraw the maps last year. The Republicans did it held, holding their nose and hoping that they would get control of the state Supreme Court in the election process. They did. To the spoils go the victors. And I think you'll see the Republicans, uh, I think you'll see the Republicans um, very successful in redrawing the congressional maps. Right now we have a 7-7 map. When the Republicans get through with it, it will probably be a 10-4 map or a 9-5 map. I would not want to be Wiley Nickel. Um, I would not want to be Don Davis. I don't know if they can redistrict Jeff Jackson down in Charlotte, but he may have a target on his back as well. So um, that will be that will be just a political reality that uh, both sides will have to deal with. And then in the legislature, um, I don't see them being able to monkey with the legislative maps wildly. They already have pretty much maximum performance in the state house with uh, 71 seats, and they've got maximum performance. I think it's 31 or 32 seats in the state Senate. They have supermajority status in the state Senate. So I don't see where you can go in and add additional seats to those lines. Um, so I don't see a lot of changes on the legislative side. I do see changes on the congressional side. Well, that's, uh, it's going to be interesting. Too. When will the Supreme Court come out with the decision on that case? I think uh, it would not surprise me somewhere probably late spring. 
uh, type timeline, May, June timeline, and then they get the budget done. And then in the month, uh, they may take some time off in August and then come back in September and have a special session on, on redistricting. Well, it's going to be interesting to watch that. And of course, uh, the, the early season betting is, as you said, that the, uh, uh, the uh, power will be returned to the state. And you're going, right. You're going to hear hollering and screaming coming from the Democrats. But the fact is, you know, the Republicans won their seats. They've won the majority and, and they have that right to govern. And it's not like that the Democrats didn't use that in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and early 2000s as a means to hold on to power, too. So um, it just it should be compelling for the Democrats to get out and uh, to work and, and build a statewide coalition of voters that will enable them to win and build a, a majority, and then they can and address it as they move forward. We continue to talk about the Democrats and Republicans, and of course the registration continues to grow stronger and stronger for registered unaffiliates. Now, of course, every person who registers as an unaffiliate has political views, and from what I'm reading, pretty much um, that follows the line of the registration. In other words, the percentage of uh unaffiliated that uh, line up with the Democrats and percentage that line up with the Republicans is pretty much equal to the registration. Uh, do you see this trend continuing? And uh, is there is there really a long-term future for political parties? Uh, I, I agree with you about unaffiliated. They, they, are, uh, they are unaffiliated, but they do have political views. And it's probably a third, a third, a third of, you know, they lean Democrat or lean Republican or they're truly in the middle and vote either side at any given election. Uh, I've said it once and I'll say it again. The biggest uh, upheaval that we'll see in politics is the day when unaffiliated voters are given equal access to the ballot. Right now, a Democrat or Republican can go down to the Board of Elections, take their ethics forms or financial disclosure forms, and fill out the, the application to run for state house or state senate, pay their $1,000 filing fee, and they're on the ballot. They may have a primary. They may not. Unaffiliated don't do that. They have to have 4% of the registered voters in their district to get on the ballot, and that's a hurdle very high, and too often they're not able to reach that hurdle. So if you wanted to have parity in our politics, Don, here in the state of North Carolina, you would allow unaffiliated equal access to the ballots. And that would be a severe challenge to the parties and basically probably would threaten the future of the parties. So it's going to be an issue that's that's intriguing, but it's going to be extremely important, too, as we move forward. So. Uh, unaffiliates are going to play an important role in our state's politics as we move forward. Great. Thank you. Uh, again, as always, you're very candid and we appreciate your views. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can do so by going to carolinanewsmakers.com, carolinanewsmakers.com. And uh, if you happen to be listening to a station that carries only the half hour version, the two segments that you missed are there too. Program has been produced by Jason Coggin, and he'll have another guest for us next week on the same group of stations. Till next week, have a good week, everybody. 
Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.